0: Hello, I'm Barbara St. Clair, host of Arts In, the Creative Pinellas podcast. Up next, we'll be talking to master artisan and printmaker Holly Bird. Holly worked at the cutting edge of digital design as it developed, and now she's practicing an age-old craft. We interviewed Holly at a remote location, and thanks to our producer Sheila Cowley for stepping in and handling interview duties. Holly's such a fascinating artist, one of the amazing artists working and teaching at the Dunedin Fine Arts Center. We know you'll enjoy listening to this very interesting conversation. And you'll have to stay tuned to hear about her work behind the scenes on the very funny movie Caddyshack. That process has not changed for hundreds of years. It's really fun. It's great to to peel off that piece of paper and look and see what you've got. And and it's, it's wow every time. I'm Sheila Cowley sitting in today for Barbara St. Clair, and this is Arts In, the podcast of Creative Pinellas. Holly Bird is here with us today. Holly, tell us about your your art. I'm a lot of different kinds of of things. Um, I started out as a graphic designer illustrator. In my career, and uh, now I'm working uh, pretty much full time as a printmaker, predominantly block printing and copper plate etching. Your work looks like old children's book illustrations from another age to me. It's, I had succeeded. That's both <laughs> fantastic. No, they're lovely. And, Thank you. Thank but I was impressed that you started out in the very early days of digital graphic design. Yeah. Yes, even before digital. I mean, I was there for the onset because I had a pretty traditional, classic, graphic design education from the University of Florida. And uh, I started out in the old days of uh, waxing boards and cutting and pasting and, and mainly in print. And I loved print design and you know, print art direction, and I started out in you know advertising, but I really loved doing magazine layout. And uh, we saw right about '87, you know, the introduction of Macintosh computers, and I had a Mac 2 plopped at my desk, and it was you know, I loved it. I fully embraced it. I learned everything I could possibly learn about it and embraced the revolution. But it was because I was so immersed in that that's why I wanted to pull back a bit in later years and to get my hands off the computer. And, and I rediscovered printmaking since college. And that's where I am now, I'm trying to put a little distance between myself and the computer, although I find myself getting dragged back in all the time. And, and for somebody who doesn't know exactly what printmaking is, how would you describe what you do? Well, it's very old. Block relief printing was invented by the Chinese. But, of course, uh, in Western Europe, you had the, the adoption of, of, of movable type and, and basic woodblock, wood engraving, was the one of the earliest forms of illustration that could be duplicated a, and reproduced and distributed. And you combine that with movable type, and of course, you had your first books you know, published at that time. Etching, which I do, is about 600 years old. It was another way to distribute images and create images. And I also do mezzotints, which is the first continuous tone printing. But everything I'm doing is very old, and it's, it's old tech. I mean, you could do a lot of what I do by hand, and etching requires high-pressure press. So there is some equipment that you have to have. But some of the block relief printing that I'm doing can be done on your kitchen counter with a wooden spoon. It's very accessible to everybody. It's, it's a wonderful art form that to me pushes all of my graphic designer buttons and form and color and value and, and strategy and working on a design problem but etching really appeals to the drafts person and me because my, my first true love is drawing and etching is a is a drawing medium uh, for me the way I treat it which is mostly line work I appreciate the fact on your artistic statement that you were said you were born a hundred years too late. Yes, sometimes I feel that way, yes. <laughs> and finding my footing and I've I've had to wear a lot of hats as a designer. I've only come into this sort of late in life because I was a magazine art director, advertising, I worked in film, I did I storyboarded feature films. Starting with Caddyshack when I was 18 years old. Seriously? Seriously. That was the best summer job of all time. And uh, and, and my mother was working the set too. She was the the, the set nurse, registered nurse. Oh my goodness. And uh, our neighbor was uh, in Fort Lauderdale was the production manager. So it was one definitely one of those who you know. But it also led to other work. And so I continued to do four more features after that. And a little bit of television work, um, Superboy Orlando, I did some um, conceptual designs for him. This is all 1979 through about 1990, and in between that, I was working actual day jobs. I mean, movie stuff was, I'd be gone for a week or two, and i come back. Uh, the longest I ever worked on location was um, about uh, three months up in Iowa. I worked on Miles from Home, which was a Gary Sinise-directed farm crisis movie. And then I moved into television, and uh, I, an opportunity came up to go ahead and art direct a magazine for WTVT, it was called Viewer Magazine, and that led to a job as senior designer there. Uh, and eventually became Fox 13, and I was there for six or seven years until I left, and I left to teach, and I taught at USF. For a short time, when in their inaugural graphic design program, but right about then, I was getting extremely busy with the printmaking and realizing that I could, after a couple of years of hard study, I felt ready to go ahead and start showing with that. So that's where I am now. What we call the Arts and Crafts revival has centered around maybe about forty years ago. When there was a major exhibition of Arts and Crafts furniture art. It started a you know a, a revival, a Renaissance, and interest in the architecture. A lot of people who own these bungalows and homes want to fill it, not just with antiques, but with new craftwork and, and art and paintings and prints and furniture and ceramics, and so there's a whole new generation of craft firms and artists like myself who are working on the style. And it, it's a pushback against the Industrial Revolution. It's, it's the idea of the, the mass machine-made, low-quality work that was coming out through the Victorian period. And they wanted to get back to having honorable work, craftspeople working with their hands which was deemed healthier. And, and all of this was coming out of the same time period that all of, I mean, it was women's suffrage. It was reform in labor practices uh, in, in in architecture. Um, case in point, Frank Lloyd Wright built the Larkin office and, and factory building in, in city of Buffalo, which has since been torn down. And he built it with the idea of creating healthy areas for people to work in that were well-lighted, well-ventilated. A uh, gentleman who was working there for Larkin soap at the time who was a marketing person was Albert Hubbard. Albert Hubbard started the, the the Roycroft, which in East Aurora, New York, which became essentially a, a, the most successful arts and crafts community where it was a working town. Um, they specialized in, in bookbinding furniture and copper work. And everybody worked there, lived there. They had their own baseball team. They had their own restaurant and cafeteria, and um, they had their own band. And, and uh, women and men were paid equally. That was very important with the movement. And uh, campus is still there, and they've been slowly buying the buildings back. Uh, the, the Roycroft Artists at Large Association, RALA, of which I'm a member. After applying to the exhibition five years in a row, um, by the sixth year I was made a Roycroft Master Artisan, which I now am in, in printmaking. It's, it's the head, heart, and hands. We all, you know, we're, we're trying to have that same kind of arts and crafts philosophy in our work, that handwork, hands-on aesthetic, and to teach it and to, to go ahead and carry it on. And so I was, I, I made that a goal of mine, to achieve my Master Artisan status there. And I think I'm the only one in South Atlanta at this point. Now we have the new museum, the Museum of the American Arts and Crafts Movement. Very exciting. I've, I've been over there a couple times to talked to them. I've done a little consulting work with them, developing their graphic studio, which will be on the fourth floor. They are going to have a full demonstration studio there for printmaking, right where the printmaking collection will be housed. And it's very exciting. I mean, I've, I've seen a, a little bit of the collection and it's amazing. I think we're really fortunate and it's made a lot of people I know up north very jealous school I actually did my first woodcut. Uh, when I look back and realize that the fact it was junior high when I was a Florida public school student and I actually had zinc etching in my junior high art class. Etching and uh, woodcut. And then in college I had, as a design candidate, I only had one elective. I, could, I really had room for and I decided to take printmaking from Ken Kerslake, um, their University of Florida at the time who was an amazing instructor. And that's when I discovered zinc etching. And I absolutely loved it. And I spent every minute I could up there in studio. And then I didn't touch it for 25 years, 20 years until 2006. I, I had wanted to get into doing some, some exhibition, you know, basically exhibiting and showing my work. And I realized I am probably the slowest drawer in the world. I cannot possibly produce enough work to go ahead and sell it at at that speed. I was doing a lot of colored pencil. And this is on top of my other freelance, and I was teaching at USF also at the time. And so I I saw a class for copper plate etching at the Fine Arts Center, taught by Stephen Littlefield. I realized that they were no longer using nitric acid. They were using ferric chloride, which is a much safer corrosive salt as opposed to an acid. It etches copper beautifully. I took one class, and I was completely hooked. And the only reason I stopped coming out of Friday Morning Etching since 2006 is that I actually started teaching it. And hanging around Friday Morning Etching at DFAC has just been splendid for years. And Steve Littlefield and, and a lot of other local artists, local printmakers. And, and I became really passionate about it. And then I, uh, at the same time, I also started taking linoleum block relief printing from Stephen. And doing kind of more, increasingly more sophisticated, multiple blocks, um, multiple color. And what I realized when I did that, and right about the same time, there was an exhibition by the Two Red Roses Foundation at the Lena Ratner Museum uh, that was of arts and crafts period woodblock printmaking. And uh, I went back there three times. I was hooked because I already knew about the arts and crafts movement. I was a huge fan of it. The P. Raphaelites, late 19th century illustration painting, early 20th century golden age book illustration. Embracing the kind of the aesthetic, the look, the feel, it really dovetailed nicely with my design preferences. And so that set me on the path of my block printing. At the same time, I continued on with my etching there at DFAC. So I owe it all at DFAC. Uh, Denise Fine Arts Center and Steve Littlefield putting me on the path of printmaking. You start out with just a sheet of copper. In fact, you can even go to Ace Hardware right now and buy for 11 bucks just a a plain old sheet of six by nine unpolished copper and you prepare the surface by polishing it, beveling the edges, and you brush on a layer of hard ground, a mixture of asphaltum and beeswax. And this is sort of a transparent brown layer. You can see the copper through it, but what it is, it's soft enough to take a steel scribe and actually draw into it. So you get your completed drawing, a very tight drawing, at least I do, on tracing paper. You flip it on the tracing paper because, of course, in printmaking, everything's backwards. It's a matrix that's backwards. You print it, you come up with a positive image. So you have to remember that, and we've all forgotten that, we've all put our drawing on the wrong side. But, you know, let's say that we didn't do that, and we put the drawing on the correct side. And you're transferring that drawing, which is in graphite, and you can get a beautifully clean graphite image directly on top of this hard ground, this brown hard ground layer. And then you're just simply drawing. You're taking a steel scribe. It feels the same pressure as a pencil. It feels to me like pen and ink. And I've done a lot of pen and ink illustration. I, I started out doing that, I mean, ever since I was a little kid, I did some small press illustrations. I, it, it feels like that when you're drawing, it's very natural. So once you have completed the drawing in the hard ground, what you've done is instead of actually scratching or engraving the copper in any way, you don't want to do that. It simply opens up the copper to expose it to the chemical. So if you think of the hard ground as a mask, everywhere where you've exposed copper, it will now etch in contact with the chemical. And then it goes in a vertical tank of ferric chloride. Ferric chloride is just a corrosive salt, no dangerous fumes. We dilute it with water. We've had the same batch of ferric chloride at at Geneva Point Art Center now for, I don't know, 15 years. And we just add a little water once in a while. So it's really benign. The biggest byproduct is rust. You will dunk it in the tank for 15, 18 minutes and get a beautiful etch. Um, You pull it out, you rinse it off with water, you clean off the hard ground with mineral spirits, and then you have an etched plate of copper. At that point, because the other term for this is also called the intaglio, an intaglio means below the surface. So if you ran your finger over the surface of the plate, you would barely feel anything. It's not engraved in there. You apply with a um, sort of a, a mat board, squeegee, just a little scrap of a mat board, a layer of etching ink, which is similar to oil paints. It's oil-based. So you put a full layer of that all over the plate, your, your hand's going to be filthy. There's no other way to avoid it. This is a very messy you know, art form. And you take what we call a tarlatan, which is a piece of starchy cheesecloth, and you lift off at the same time, push ink into the crevices. At that point, you start to see the image come through the layer of ink. Then you take a whole stack of thin layers of phone book paper, which is the perfect weight. I don't know what it is about phone book paper, but it's a very thin, fine, smooth surface newsprint. And then you slowly float off the excess ink. Copper reacts with a lot of pigments, especially yellows. So really, copper plate etching is pretty much limited to browns, brown inks, blacks, and some blues. But anyway, at the end of this, you've wiped off the excess ink, so now you have ink embedded into the lines below the surface. We put the plate down on the, on the high-pressure etching press, and then we put two to three wool blankets on top of that. So the way this works is, in etching, is that you're actually wicking the ink, out of the lines of the copper plate onto the paper through the action of the wool blankets lifting the moist paper you know going through the moist paper and wicking the ink out so it's a wicking action under extreme pressure that brings the ink out of the lines below the surface onto your paper you run it through the press you peel up your blankets and voila and if everything's gone well and it usually does you've got a beautiful etching that process has not changed for hundreds of years it's really fun it's great to to peel off that piece of paper and look and see what you've got. And, and it's it's wow every time. And then the other beautiful thing about copper is it's a very soft metal. It's very malleable. You're not done at that point. You can continue to add, subtract. You could add tone to that line work by adding uh, what we call an tint. You take basically take a, a big pile of powdered rosin inside a box. We use an air compressor to fluff it up and we stick the plate in there and what we want to do is dust it with a layer of powdered rosin and then you carefully bake that onto the surface and what that does is actually put an entire half ton all over your plate. It's very subtle and it gives you a very fine grayscale that now what you're doing is masking off to go darker and darker. So you would take that plate, you would mask off any areas that you want to retain as white, dunk it in for a minute, now you've got a very pale gray now you take your masking fluid, your, your your hard ground, coat that with a brush, protect it. You want another more medium gray, dunk it in the tank again. Now you've got a two-minute gray, pull it out. You want to keep that, cover it with hard ground. It's a continuous masking process to get deeper and deeper and darker tones. And when you're satisfied with that, you could also go in with a burnishing tool. You can pull out highlights. You can add darker areas again. You can put more line work in it. It's 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 a wonderful medium. You're never done unless you... You think you're done. It's, it's something you can go into again and again, add layers of texture, layers of lines, pull out highlights, and it's really rewarding that way. But one of the things about printmaking is that um, these are true art prints. They're not reproductions. These are prints, the true meaning of the word. And because we use a matrix, in the case of copper plate etching, your copper plate is your matrix. In the case of linoleum block, your linoleum is your matrix. These things wear out over time. Copper plates are good for about a hundred really good prints, and at that point the copper is going to soften and wear out, and the lines will fill in. And so you could either cancel the plate by traditionally draw a big X through it, but you know copper is valuable. We all hate to see our babies disappear. I think a lot of people will take acrylic ink and fill in the lines, wipe it away, dry it, and then coat it with varnish. And then there's something really beautiful about a polished copper plate with that black line and sized on there and all that texture. Then it becomes a thing unto itself. The time to execute a a new block print is is weeks, weeks to months. If I'm carving, say, a 9x12 and I'm doing multiple colors, I could have probably four or five 9x12 blocks that have to be carved. And I usually have two or three going on at once. And only then can I start proofing, fine-tuning, and then additioning the print. So, etchings, I I can put an etching out in a couple of days. So, I'm doing those in between too. It's nice to have another form that I can go ahead and do as well. We just added new studios to the Canadian Fine Arts Center on the second floor. And our printmaking studio, people who want to etch, this is a public access, very large etching press. It was actually built by Stephen Littlefield and another friend of his. So to have access to this and not be, say, an MFA student or, or a BFA student at USF is, is highly unusual. And we teach many different forms of printmaking there between Stephen and I. Stephen um, also teaches mezzotint, monotype, in addition to copper plate etching, um, lino cut, multiple block linoleum. I'm going to be teaching woodcut, introduction to multiple block woodcut. There's a lot of carving involved. There's a lot of craft there. There's a lot of design. But anybody can go in there and create a shape, print it, do some line work, add color. Um, It's really an accessible medium. Copper plate etching, we do require that you have a little bit of drawing ability to go ahead and make your mark so you're not going over that hurdle from day one. But but block printing is wide open. We would hope that you have some art experience to go ahead and make an image, and we'll show you how to translate that image to the block. So we have a full range of printmaking. Um, Day and night classes, really great jewelry department, fantastic, we've really expanded painting. Of course, we have a terrific ceramic section there, digital arts. When they increased the uh, the number of studios, they also added a great deal more exhibition space there. So we have any number of great exhibits going in all the time, and we have a great children's schedule. Summer art camps are fantastic at Dunedin. It's loads of fun. It's, it's hugely popular. I'm a lifelong sailor. I love to sail. And I love traditional small craft. So that was a natural subject for me, I mean, I do a lot of the natural world birds and how can you not do birds in Florida because they're amazing. But I have pretty much focused my block printing on maritime subjects. And so I have like the Ankle White House. I have a number of small sailboats. And, and, I, and I love sailing small craft. There, there's endless subject matter there. Cedar Key boat meet is the first weekend of May every year. And uh, that's a great place to go up there and get material. I'll take dozens of photographs. I'll do sketches. And, and just just around here, because sailing's amazing around here. So there, there's never a dull moment. I mean, I can go ahead and take photos of just even the shoreline, what's going on with light, you know, trying to do those rainbow rolls in the background of my block prints showing, you know, early morning skies, late evening skies. Uh, I'm, I'm working on one right now, which is a an evening sort of a reverie of a Cedar Key uh, of uh, very smooth water, a lot of reflection. Florida's coastline sailing water subjects are a great subject and it gives me something a little bit different because a lot of the subject matter in in arts and crafts Mark arts and crafts is traditionally landscape floral and and so i have something that's um, a little bit different I'm represented locally by the clay and paper gallery right in downtown Eden. my website is studioibus.com my favorite bird thank, thank you for coming my pleasure too. I'm Sheila Cowley, sitting in for Barbara St. Clair, and you've been listening to Arts In, the Creative Pinellas podcast. Sponsored in part by the Pinellas County Board of County Commissioners, Visit St. Petersburg Clearwater, and the State of Florida Department of Cultural Affairs. Arts In is produced by Matt and Sheila Cowley. You can find more conversations with visual, literary, and performing artists and in-depth arts journalism at creativepinellas.org. Thank you for listening.